Chinese Revolutions, a podcast about how China came to be the way that it is today, looking at Chinese history through revolutionary movements starting from 1839 and going up to the present. I am your host, Nathan Bennett. I lived in China for seven years. I have been uh, studying China for a long time, and this podcast is kind of a love letter and a farewell letter to that country. The usual announcements, if you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash crpodcast. You can also join the substack at chineserevolutions.substack.com. Please send me an email at chineserevolutions at gmail.com. Also, please rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. Uh, last week, we talked about the further adventures of Hong Xiuquan, and this week we're talking a bit more about the context he worked in. And what we're talking specifically about is secret societies, bandits, and pirates. And the British action against pirates is going to be very important for driving piracy inland, where they'll take up banditry. A lot of, most of the material from this episode is taken straight out of God's Chinese Son by Jonathan Spence. A lot of the areas in which Hong Xiuquan will be operating are just outside the jurisdiction of more built-up parts of China at the time. So bandit groups could operate from over the state line, they had rugged mountains and forests to hide in, and British activity against pirates uh, pushed them inland to carry on their deeds there and not on the coast. The Chinese Navy wasn't much to write home about. During the uh, times before the Opium War, before 1839, they'd even make arrangements with opium smugglers to accept bribes to overlook handovers of you know payment or delivery of goods. And bandits could... Uh, presumably charge and collect protection fees because you know, the the you know the sailors and the pirates could all speak chinese and they could kind of work something out they're all ultimately local the the pirates know what local fishermen look like probably because they are local fishermen or they grew up as local fishermen and, but the British, okay, aside from the fact that they have far superior naval technology and discipline and everything, they were really aggressive on the high seas because that's where their, that's where their trade was, that's where the, the, the uh, lifeline into Britain was, that's where the money that kept the government coming from came from. I remember reading something about pirates, uh, and the uh, implementation of steam propulsion was one thing that really gave navies at uh, really gave navies an edge in operating against pirates. So that's one thing. 
But the, uh, since the Chinese state was prostrate at the end of the Opium War, the Royal Navy could pretty much go after pirates as aggressively as they wanted. And so, since the British were not from around there, they saw either business happening, and it, it was good, we're going to smile now, or it was not happening, and there were pirates, and that meant somebody needed uh, a good whipping. And so the general idea was to string him up or blow him out of the water, not work out you know, protection payments. So you also remember how the British approached anti-slavery patrols. They just did it. No matter the nationality of the, the slave ships in question, they, the, the Royal Navy spent many ships and the lives of many sailors to suppress the slave trade. Also, the suppression of the, the Tuggy cult in India, the bandits who would strangle their victims. This is where we get the word thug from. Uh, the use of intelligence and modern criminological methods to track them down. The British were not messing around in India. They were, were they, they, um, the, they extensively interviewed, captured thugs, and they, they did their, they, 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 they crushed them. They, they, they crushed them. Uh, also, the suppression of the sati burning of widows in India. So the uh, the now the British in China were only taking care of their seagoing trade, and as long as that was working out fine, then that was what they cared about. They didn't want to conquer China. They just wanted things in China to work the way they wanted them to work. They wanted freedom of trade. They wanted to be able to trade with whoever they wanted to trade with. And as long as that was fine, then that was it. So the bandits, so, so the, the pirates moved inland and became bandits. Uh, and, you know, they, they were still locals. They could speak to people in Chinese. They knew the culture and the British weren't going to move in and take control. British conquest of India was, it was kind of an accident of how things turned out for the East India Company, whereas in China, they, trade was still the leading concern, and it wasn't about extraction of revenue as the East India Company operations in India turned out to be, just extraction of revenue rather than uh, perpetuation of trade. So the when they moved, the pirates operated like a mafia with their their turf and alliances. In eighteen o five, a big alliance between seven of the most powerful pirate leaders was formed. They had a secret registration system, signals rules of conduct and you know their turf where where they would operate and they had intricate alliances made through marrying off sisters daughters captured women or through adoption and uh, Jonathan Spence made a note about homosexual liaisons and they so the pirate could adopt the the uh, protege 
if the relationship really went somewhere. And it seems that pirates operated just kind of on the edge of respectability. There was a lady, Shura Young, and she held this group together for years and then retired after the death of her second husband in 1843, and she ran a gambling establishment, a successful one, in Canton. So, you know, that's like when you watch The Sopranos and you see Tony playing poker. Okay, well, that's... It's not all whacking rats. It's all... It's it's about making money. So if you don't have to do anything violent, you don't. Um, and so let's uh, look at some other mafia history. Okay, so in World War II, the uh, United States made deals with the mafia. Like, they kept down strikes on the docks. This is before the development of modern shipping containers, so you needed your longshoremen to really play ball if you wanted things to move. Uh, but also, they suppressed German and Italian sabotage activity or agitation uh, amongst longshoremen. They helped things go more smoothly in Sicily and in Italy when uh, the Allies invaded that part of Europe uh, ahead of the D-Day landings in 1944. They had action in Italy in 1943. So you, you, you use who you have who can, you know, help you get things together on the ground. So bandits are, they kind of drift back and forth across, cut their heads off or put them in the head. Uh, they, they could be useful. In Chinese revolutions, bandits, criminal gangs, secret societies, they're going to be one dimension used by one side or the other. Criminals and rebels live on the same street, as it were. Not legal, they're needing things not publicly available. You know, the rebels need guns. Where are they going to get guns from? You know, uh, gun runners who are criminals. They're not afraid of dirty work, so if you need your if you need the bad guys done in, you can turn to your friends in the secret society. You know, but then also they're kind of in the ranks of the rootless and the dis dispossessed, or they possess illegitimately, so it's a chance to wash their banditry in the waters of revolution. And But again, you know, revolution needs some dirty work to be done, and they're not afraid of doing some dirty work. Chinese pirates and bandits are comparable to the Mexican cartels, kidnapping for ransom, extreme cruelty toward captured government soldiers or police, uh, sale of legal and illegal products. Like, there was a, a thought that avocados would be, from a certain part of Mexico, would be banned from getting in because the cartels had threatened, had maybe threatened some American inspection agents or something, they they do whatever business will get them money. Uh, and so for the pirates in the Chinese context, this included opium. Also, they ran protection rackets, including uh, charging protection 
fees from opium smugglers, running arms, both for their use and for you know whoever wanted them, I guess. They made partnerships with local bandits to control the local scene. Like if there was an area where there was a lot of commerce going on, they would set up shop there. Uh, there was also, the, uh, Jonathan Spence also recounts incidents of bandit groups killing groups of officials, and then they would take over and do the officials' jobs, or they would use the appearance of being officials to extort money from travelers or local families. And locals also shelter bandits because they can make a lot of money from helping them. So it's like, you know, if you're an old Sicilian lady and the mafia pays you a lot of money to keep something under your bed to keep it safe, well, this helps. So, sure. Uh, also, secret societies, mafia-like brotherhoods, more directly, the triad, the Heaven and Earth Society, formed in the 18, no, 1760s. My notes were wrong. The, you're going to hear some typing correcting this. Okay, there we go. Kind of a Robin Hood sort of secret society, you know, rob the rich to support the brotherhood. You know, why would, you know, why people would join? Financial support for weddings and funerals, those can be very expensive. If you want to honor your ancestors or you want to get married in style, like at any rate, you know, respectably. Uh, if you get in a fight with somebody and you need a backup, like you don't want them to take revenge on you or you want to end the fight, you've got your brothers in the secret society. Uh, robbers were part of this, so if you flash the right sign, they let you go. So if you're if you're the guy getting robbed, you hold up your thumb for heaven, and they reply by holding up their little finger for earth, and, and so then you can go. They don't rob you. Uh, there are tokens of shared recognition, you know, certain hairstyles, leaving a certain button undone on your coat, uh, holding your teacup or tobacco pipe in a certain way, certain phrases they could use with each other, characteristic numbers, numerological representations of specific code words, and incidentally, uh, the surname of Hong Xiuquan, Hong, is one of their secret code words, and so he's kind of going to weave this into some of the stuff that he's going to write. And there's a mythology of existing to restore the Ming dynasty and being against the Qing dynasty. And they, they're they very, very much a mafia. They run protection rackets. They force locals to join. And they run gambling operations. They, they run all sorts of different things to make money. And the migration of the Hakka people to rural areas, uh, escaping pirates and things, they were members of the Heaven and Earth Society. So local inhabitants who are already there would resist them. And so secret societies and fraternal orders have historically been places for the dispossessed and the marginalized to belong. So if you're new and moving into a new area and the people who are already there don't like you, well, you can turn to your secret society brothers for support 
And, you know, if you need to intimidate somebody into not being quite so loud about how much they don't like that you're around, well, you can visit them in the middle of the night and tell them just how much you'd like to be a good neighbor and what they can do to be a better neighbor to you. Yes, that'd be some very nice money. Thank you very much. Uh, the sorry, Consider the Italian mafia in America, the Irish gangsters, Mexican, Russian, Albanian, Armenian, these these different gangs, they support each other, like, like the, the, the gang members support each other, but they also figure out ways to make money in a tough situation, moving to a new country. You need more money faster, and, you know, going outside the law lets you speed things up a bit. And so when Taiping forces, when, when the Taiping movement really, really gets going, when they arrive, they sweep aside corrupt authorities, so as a revolutionary force, they establish their legitimacy by you know, wiping away the militias and the corrupt local authorities who you know, are just bad news to begin with, and then the bandits who... No, okay. And then uh, in the story of when Hong Xiuquan is robbed on his way to Guangxi, uh, the, the, the bandits are probably Heaven and Earth Society members. And so Hong will... So as I said earlier, Hong will draw upon heaven and earth society traditions and numerological representations of his name in writing typing movement literature. So to sum up how this is all very revolutionary, the typing movement exists alongside these secret societies and these bandit groups. So it's, it's the organization of community resources for mutual support. So this is going to turn into something more like taxes rather than extorted fees, but still taxes are extorted, um, the organization of armed force for protection and enforcement of certain standards. Uh, communities would form militia groups to protect themselves against bandits, and the Taiping are going to form their own armed forces. They're taking a stand against corruption or oppression, they foster a wider sense of belonging. So the, the, the Taiping, before they become a huge, huge revolutionary movement and they start capturing and holding territory, as, as the initial communities are dispersed over rugged terrain, they have their secret passwords, they have the shared beliefs and the ways they have of recognizing each other. And so this exists alongside the other bandit groups and secret society things. And you know, you, you'll see the, the Taiping rebels plundering you'll see them confiscating things for the use of the movement. In, like the like organized crime does. So that was the this was the promised episode on the secret society and the bandit context in which 
this revolution is occurring. So again, this has been Nathan Bennett. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash crpodcast, chineserevolutions.substack.com if you'd like to join the substack. Please send me an email, chineserevolutions at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. Thanks again, and see you next time.